Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come again before your throne, not because the last prayer was insufficient, but uh, you said pray without ceasing. And as we are going to open your word this morning, we invite your presence to be amongst us so that we can learn, retain, and apply these things in our lives so that they will help us to prepare for your soon coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So I have titled this message this morning, The Power of Forgiveness, as you can see, and the subheading or the subtitle says, Let It Go. So you might be thinking, Pastor, what does that have to do with, uh, with communion service? You know, at the center of the plan of salvation, there's forgiveness. You remember the, the verse from John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you can see that through that act that God did in order to reconcile us to himself, there's forgiveness because we wronged God, we sinned, he actually said, your sins have separated me from you. So for him to be reconciled, to be reconciling himself to us or us to himself, he had to forgive and he had to give his son to die for us on the cross. So this is the act that we'll be celebrating this morning, the act of communion and the act of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we go to the book of Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the Bible says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Jesus was on the cross. He had one thief on the left and one thief on the, on the right. And there, right there at the foot of the cross, were the people that had shouted, crucified him. And there were also people that were spitting at him. There were people who had just given him vinegar to drink. And Jesus, looking at them, he recognized the fact that they had no idea what they were doing exactly. Because Jesus understood that whilst he was being crucified, the blood that was going to be shed on the cross was the blood that was going to help them to be forgiven. That very act they were in in crucifying Jesus. And you know, one thing that I realized, Jesus actually meant it. I was sharing in first service that at least where I'm from, if you offend someone, and if you hear someone saying, God bless you, it doesn't really mean God bless you. They're trying to show you that they're a Christian. On top of it, they're trying to say to you, actually, God revenge you or God curse you for what you have done. But it's different with Jesus here. Jesus actually meant it saying, Pastor, how do you know? If we go to the book of Acts, the same crowd was there at Pentecost, and they had witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was an amazing event, with the disciples speaking in different languages and the people actually hearing them in their own language. But Peter went through the sermon of showing them that they had crucified the Son of God, who was prophesied by David as well. And there, there it says in the Bible, therefore, therefore let all the house, this is Peter 
who is, say, who is preaching, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and he shall receive the gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. So there you see it. Peter is giving them an opportunity, an appeal for them to repent and be baptized because they had realized what they had done. And look at what the Bible says in verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Amen? So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he meant it. The same crowd actually repented, and they were and they were baptized. So as we talk about forgiveness this morning, it is not just for information. When we say to people, God bless you, or God forgive you, or I forgive you, let's mean it from the depths of our hearts. And let's say it with all our hearts. You might be saying to me, Pastor, that's hard. Look at what Jesus said. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have as I have done unto you. The responsive reading was talking about righteousness by faith. That while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Christ died for us. So if we understand the sacrifice that Jesus did for us, the price that he paid for, for us on the cross, it is the same thought and the same mind that should prompt us to do the same to our brothers and sisters. It says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to verse 15, alluding to the same fact. It says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses as well. I'm sure that every single person who is in this sanctuary and who is tuning in via live stream, they have sinned because we know that from the book of Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we have been forgiven, if our sins are forgiven by God, then we ought to forgive one another. We cannot talk about forgiveness without talking about the passage that is in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to verse 35. I'm not going to read it uh, from the Bible. I'm just going to summarize this story. It is the story of a servant who owed his master 10,000 talents and the day of reckoning had come and he pleaded with his master and his master forgave his debt. But as you know from that story, that same servant, as he was walking or as he was doing his business, he had an encounter with a fellow servant who owed him way less than he owed his master. This fellow servant owed him 100 pence. And he made that, he said to that fellow servant, you should pay, and he got him locked up. And the word came to the master. And the master said to this servant, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgive you all the debt 
because you asked me and you pleaded with me, but look what you have done. And then he gave him to the tormentors. And the moral of the story is, as we see how God has forgiven us, if you see the, the gift that he gave us, what he had to go through for your sin and for my sin, why is it then that it is hard for us to forgive our brother or to forgive our sister? There's a statement that I found online. I didn't get to, to find who, who said this statement, but this, this statement is very true. It says, forgiving someone is freeing a prisoner only to realize that that prisoner is me. I'm going to say it one more time. Forgiving someone is freeing a prisoner only to realize that that prisoner is me. Because I used to think that if I don't forgive someone, I'm making their, lives, their life harder. Or if I say some things that are bad about this person and make everybody around me to, to, to think and to see this person as the, the worst person that ever lived on this planet, I'm actually doing good to myself. You may feel good inside you because that is just on the surface of dealing with uh, the deeper issue of the unforgiving spirit that is in you. But the actual prisoner is you. The actual prisoner is me if I have unforgiveness um, sentiments in my heart. Why is that? Do we have any backing to this statement? Praise God for the spirit of prophecy. If you go to the book, Ministry of Healing, page 241, one of my favorite books, by the way, 241, Pen of Inspiration says, the relation that exists between the mind and the body is very intimate. When one is affected, the other sympathizes. The condition of the mind affects the health to a far greater degree than many realize. Many of the diseases from which men suffer are the result of mental depression, grief, anxiety, discontent, remorse, guilt, distrust, all tend to break down the life forces as to invite decay and death. So you see, whatever happens in the mind, it ends up affecting our bodies. So God wants you to be free, and God wants you to be free the whole person that is mental, physical, and spiritual. So this is what the spirit of prophecy is saying here. So having said that, keep this in mind, then we're going to see how unforgiveness actually is related to our physical health. As I was reading one of the articles online from the Science Times, it says here, unforgiveness is classified in medical books as a disease, according to Dr. Stephen Stanford, who is the chief of surgery at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. He insists that refusing to forgive people who have done you wrong makes people sick and keeps them that way. How many of you actually knew that in medical books, unforgiveness is actually classified as a disease? So this is showing you that the spirit of prophecy is inspired because it came from him who created the human being. Science is catching up with what we're told years ago. The article goes on to say, it's important to treat emotional wounds or disorders because they really can hinder someone's reactions to the, to the treatments, even someone's willingness to pursue treatment, said Stanford, the same Dr. Stanford. When it comes to the most feared disease of the last century, which is cancer, by the way, forgiveness 
may play a role in cancer prevention too. Dr. Michael Berry, the author of the book, The Forgiveness Project, estimates that 61% of cancer patients have forgiveness issues. What percentage? 61% of cancer patients, they have forgiveness issues. Harboring these negative emotions, this anger and hatred creates a state of chronic anxiety. Chronic anxiety very predictably produces excess adrenaline and cortisol, which deplete the production of natural killer cells, which is your body's foot soldiers in the fight against cancer. Now you can start to see that that statement is very true because the person that might have wronged you or offended you or frustrated you, they might not realize what they were doing like the people that were crucifying Jesus. They might even forget about what they, they have done to you. But who is suffering the most? It is me. It is you. Who has chronic anxiety? It is me. It is you. Who, is, who has their adrenaline and their cortisol spiking? It is me. It is you. So who needs to be freed here? The person who has an unforgiving spirit in their mind. You know, Proverbs 17, verse 22, the Bible says, a merry heart does what? It doeth good like, like a medicine. But a broken spirit, what does it do? It dries the bones. So if you have a general understanding of anatomy and physiology, you know that there's a relationship between the production of your white blood cells and the bones. So the Bible, which came from one who created this whole body, knows that for someone to be, to be healthy, they need to be healthy holistically, your mental, your physical, and your spiritual together. The problem that we have in this world today is because we have separated these things if you are mentally depressed or if you have mental issues, you go to what? You go to the psychologist or you go to, to a counselor, which is, which is good, by the way. And if you have your spiritual issues, you go to the pastor. And if you have your physical issues, you go to the doctor. But how God made it to be, these things should be taken care of holistically at the same time. Because of this, God wants you to be whole. And if you remember that verse in the book of Jude, God says, or the Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper in your spiritual life and also in your health, in your physical body. Another verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it goes on to say, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. God is wise. God saw all these things ahead of time. And the reason why he tells us all these things is because he loves us. He wants you to be free. You remember the hymn writer uh, in the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? There's that verse that says, Oh, what needless pain we bear because we don't take everything to God in prayer. And Jesus also said, Come unto me, he who are heavily laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. So Jesus wants to free you this morning. As we are going to be partaking of the emblems that remind us of the sacrifice that he did on the cross, let's remember that he is the one that gave us an 
an example to be able to follow in terms of forgiving others as well. As I was reading online, I stumbled upon a video on forgiveness. There was someone, uh, her name is Sarah Montana. She, she did a TED Talk on, on, uh, on, forgi on forgiveness and unforgiveness. And she brought out um, something that fascinated me, that in the Bible that there are 62 passages that have the word forgive, and there are 27 passages or verses in the Bible that has the word forgiveness. She said something that was very concerning to me at the end of that statement or of that statistic. She said, all these verses, they don't tell you how. And I was like, wait a minute. The whole entire Bible is full of examples on how to forgive, even if those verses that might not give you the nuts and bolts on how to forgive, go to the rest of the Bible, it will show you how to forgive. But also praise the Lord for the spirit of prophecy. It gives us the how part. So this next statement, it actually starts to give us the how to forgive part of the equation. Ministry of Healing 492, it says here, cultivate the habit of speaking well of others. How many of you have ever done agriculture? You don't, you don't, need, uh, you don't need to raise your hands. How many of you have ever been involved in agriculture? When you say cultivate, we, I don't know if we use the same word here, but cultivation, at least where I'm from, it means going into the dirt and preparing the soil for, for the planting of the seed, and you don't end there. You have to weed and you have to make something grow. So cultivation is not an instant thing that you're just going to get in an instant. It is a process. So don't think that you have failed if you're going through a process of forgiving someone, of, of thinking positive of someone, or something that might have happened to you. Let's go on. It says here, dwell upon the good qualities of those with whom you associate, and see as how much as possible, as little as possible of their errors and failings. When tempted to complain of what someone has said or done, praise something in that person's life or character. Now, is this easy when we are doing it ourselves? No, it's not easy. The moment someone frustrates you, the moment someone does something that is bad to you, that's the same moment that all what they did good in the past or what they are doing good it's just covered with this bad thing that they have done to you. But remember, Jesus will give you strength and you give you power. Let's read on. Cultivate thankfulness. Praise God for his wonderful love in giving Christ to die for us. It never pays to think of our grievances. God calls upon us to think of his mercy and his matchless love that we may be inspired with praise. There you go. The how-to part. Let's think upon his sacrifice as we are going to do this morning as we partake the, the Holy Communion. As we focus our minds on Jesus, by beholding, we become changed into the likeness of Jesus. And we're going to see in the next quotation that if we behold something else, we're going to be changed in the same image as the opposite to beholding Jesus. Says here at the same page, page 492 in the book Ministry of Healing, says, Earnest workers have no time for dwelling upon the faults of others. What kind of workers? Earnest workers. 
What kind of workers? Earnest workers have no time. They are busy doing God's work. They don't have time of dwelling upon the faults of others. So if you have time to dwell upon the faults of others, from that quotation, from that line, you're not an earnest worker. You ought to examine your life. And she goes on to say, we cannot afford to live on the husks of others' others' faults and failings. Evil speaking is a twofold curse, falling more heavily upon the speaker than upon the hearer. Wait a minute. I thought when I'm speaking evil about someone, they are the ones to suffer the most. Here the quotation, the spirit of prophecy is saying, yes, they get the effects, but it's going to fall heavily or more upon the person who is actually doing the evil speaking themselves. It goes on to say, He who scatters the seeds of dissension and strives reaps in his own soul the deadly fruits. The very act of looking for evil in others develops evil in those who look. By dwelling upon the faults of others, we are changed into the same image. But by beholding Jesus talking of his love and, and perfection of character, we become changed into, into his image. This is what we want. We want to be changed into the image of Christ because the only thing that we are going to take to heaven is our character. So this is what we want to do. We want to behold Christ. We don't want to behold the evil that is in others. This does not mean that we don't take care and settle our disputes, but dwelling upon the evil of others is different from resolving issues. These are harbored negative feelings that are harbored for a long time that we are addressing here. By contemplating the lofty ideal he has placed before us, we shall be uplifted into a pure and holy atmosphere, even the presence of God. How many of you love to be in the presence of God? I do. When we abide here, there goes forth from us a light that irradiates all who are connected with us. You remember, when Moses came down from the mountain, what was on his face? He was glowing because he was with God. And when the disciples were preaching, when they were at Antioch, people recognized that these people were with Jesus because the way they talked, the way they ate, the way they did all the things they did, they could see Jesus in them. So you cannot help it but see that this person has Jesus in them because of their presence. If we dwell in Christ, you can, people cannot help but notice that you have been with Jesus. I'm sure we, read, we love being in the presence of people who are positive and people who are happy and joyful. It doesn't mean that you have to be always jovial and be bubbly all the time. But just your presence, just your demeanor will show that Christ is living in your life. Even your words, what you're going to say. So that will make a difference in people's lives. You start encouraging people. When they see you, they are reminded of the character of Christ. It goes on to say here, instead of criticizing and condemning others, say, where is the work, where is the work supposed to be done? I must work out my own salvation. You know, the reason why we get frustrated by others is because we're trying to change others. And you cannot do that. That's God's work. You can pray for them, but you cannot change them. But there's something that you can do 
is within your heart. Listen to what she says. I must work my own salvation. If I cooperate with him who desires to save my soul, I must watch myself diligently. I must put away every evil from my life. I must overcome every fault. I must become a new creature in life, in, in Christ. Amen? Then instead of weakening those who are striving against evil, I can strengthen them by encouraging words. Amen. We are too ind indifferent in regard to one another. Too often we forget that our fellow laborers are in need of strength and cheer. Take care to assure them of your interest and sympathy. Help them by your prayers and let them know that you do it. I'm sure you have been encouraged when someone told you genuinely, and you can see it in their face, and you can hear it in, your, in their words, that my brother or my sister, I'm praying for you. And you can see it with their smile, that they genuinely mean it. Even if you're going through a hard time, those words, just that encounter, will give you strength to go another day or another month or another year to overcome whatever you'll be going through. So instead of weakening those hands that are struggling with sin, so probably someone who offended you, they might not realize like the people that crucified Jesus, they didn't fully know what they were doing. Someone might not have even realized that they have offended you. So praying for them will actually help them overcome. Someone might actually probably know that they're struggling with this weakness. And when you hate them, when you spread negative things about them, when they hear it, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be discouraged. They're going to see their situation as if there is no hope, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. So sympathize with them. Encourage them. And let them know that you're praying for them. But this does not mean that you're going to put yourself in harm's way. Because there are different situations. There are abusive situations where you forgive someone, but to be in their presence, it might be it might, it, it, it might be threatening to your life. There are those situations. But the greater work is to happen in your heart. And you pray for them, for God to do something in their lives. Listen, Jesus wants to help you. You might be thinking, oh, pastor, you don't know what I, I have gone through. Yes, I don't know. But one thing for sure, and one thing that I know, is that there's someone who understands and there's someone who knows. Because Paul said in the book of Hebrews, we have a high priest that was tried and tempted in all manner of temptations or trials, but he remained with no sin. This is the same person that he talks about in the book of Philippians. 4.13, he says, I can do how many things? All things. Through who? Christ. Who does what? Who strengthens me. I can do all things. Claim this promise. She links this to what we're going to do this morning, which is remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as we close. She says here, to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ is to receive him as our personal Savior, believing that he forgives our sins and that we are complete in him. It is by beholding his love. You remember, we said we want to behold Christ, not the faults and the failings of other people. By dwelling upon it, by drinking it in, that we are to become partakers of his nature. What food 
is to the body, Christ must be to the soul. Food cannot benefit us unless we eat it, unless it becomes a part of our being. So Christ is of no value to us if we do not know him as a personal savior. A theoretical knowledge will do us no good. We must feed upon him, receive him into the heart so that his life becomes our life. His love, his grace must be assimilated. How many of you would love to have this experience? Amen. I would love to have this same experience. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whoever hurt you, whoever frustrated you, whoever did what they did to you, that thing that you say, it is, it is very hard, Christ understands. And he's saying, I understand you. I do understand you. I do understand that it was a difficult time you had to go through because of this person or what was done to you. What probably might be the, the church. You might be at the point where you want to leave the church because of what someone said or what someone did to you. But you, you know what? The reason why we come to church is because of Jesus Christ, not because of people. There's a reason why God made you to grow in the family that you have despite the fact that you're not seeing eye to eye with your siblings or with your parents, Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to take off that burden. Will you let it go? Let it go. God wants to take that burden from you. So as you prepare to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this is my appeal to you to let go. And I'm not saying do this by yourself. Go and tell Jesus it is hard. You remember David used to pray, and used to pour out his heart to God, exactly how he felt. He would say, I want my enemies to be done this and this and this and this and this. And at the end of the chapter, he would actually give his heart to God, and he would say something that was in the lines of forgiveness. Tell it to God. Tell him how you feel. He will deliver you. He will give you strength. So as we prepare for the communion and to remember this sacrifice, Jesus wants to give you strength and power to overcome. Let it go. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you love us. That's the reason why you give us promises in the Bible. Thank you so much for the sacrifice on the cross. And give us strength and power, Lord, to forgive others. Because there will be no one person or two people who don't see each other in heaven. And help us to work out our differences whilst we are on this planet Earth. And we thank you, Lord, for this service of communion that you say, do in remembrance of me, so that we will see that your character and your way of doing things is possible in our lives. And as we prepare to, to partake of the emblems, May you open our hearts to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.